I grew up watching men's golf because we didn't have any women's events on TV. There weren't many girls playing at the academy, so I was just playing against the boys. Even my first Moroccan championship, I was the only girl, I think. So I played against the boys. And then when I had the elite Moroccan championship, I think when, it was, when I was 16, I played with the boys again. So to me, I always watched men's golf until when I was 16 or 15, I got an invitation to play the Lala Merriam Cups Pro-Am. Lala Merriam Cup is, was at the time an exhibition event, but they had the best European female players come and play. And then they had at the same time the best European male players come and play the Hassan II Trophy. So it was played at the same place at the same time. And I was invited to go and play in that. And then I saw the women and I'm like, wow, they're good. Like, they're so good. And I got to play with one of them in the program. And I was like, whoa, she's my new favorite player. <laughs> and then the next day I played with another one and I was like, oh, she's my new favorite player. <laughs> I was just very excited. And that's when I thought to myself, well, this is what I want to do. I want to be like one of them. This is the metal set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. Our guest today is from Morocco, a country that was recently rocked by a devastating earthquake. We would like to take a moment to acknowledge the loss that Morocco has experienced and our thoughts are with its people during this difficult time. Head to our show notes for links to resources and global aid initiatives that you can support as well. Back to today's guest and an honest unveiling of the hustle behind the glamour of professional golf. Moroccan golfer Maha Hadoui made headlines when she became the first Arab to gain playing privileges on the ladies' European tour 10 years back. It's an honor that has gone on to inspire many more women from the region to dream of a career in golf. But beyond the headlines, getting there and staying there is no easy feat. Being one of the toughest individual sports, the odds of becoming a pro golfer are between 0.4% to 0.006%. Add to that being a woman in the sport and the challenges of fear tournaments, a much smaller prize purse, and pool of sponsors, and lack of visibility can make this a career that needs a plan B. But Maha took a gamble on herself, getting the LET tour card, and then going on to the Olympics, not once, but twice, in 2016 in Brazil and the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. The latter being a highlight of her career as she scored a hole in one. We've shared a link to the video of this epic shot in our show notes. In this episode, we discuss Maha's journey into golf and the immense joy it brings her. But we also chat about the mental fortitude and discipline required to keep going in the game. We discuss strategies to keep your cool through frustrating shots and the power of visualization for wins. Maha also shares her insights on the changing face of golf and major moves to elevate the women's game by countries in the region. Before we head into the show, we have a small request. If you've been enjoying our content and finding value in our discussions, please take a quick moment to show your support. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to us so that you can never miss an episode. Please also leave a review, five stars only, and follow at The Metal Set on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. This really helps us in our commitment to bring you the best possible show and the most interesting guests. 
Now, let's get on with the show. So hello, Maha. Welcome to the Metal Set podcast. Um, We're really excited to have you here today. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Nice to meet you guys. So firstly, I think, you know, early September, we just kind of want to chat about this because you're, we're speaking to you from Morocco right now, and there was a devastating earthquake. So we just want to ask, how is your family doing and friends? Is everyone okay? Oh, yeah, everyone's fine. Thank God. Big fright. Everyone was very afraid uh, because it was quite violent. But yeah, they're all okay. And uh, um, yeah, it's a really sad thing that happened. And and we're all pretty much in shock. But uh, it also showed how everyone came together here in Morocco. Everyone was helping. Everyone, like, you know, took their cars and tried to go to the mountains and tried to help however they could. The people who had money, who don't have money, everyone put in an effort and, yeah, tried to contribute any way they could. And, yeah, it was really heartwarming. Well, we're going to put in the show notes of this episode um, some links to uh, relief efforts as well for anyone who's listening and would like to contribute to that. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One more thing like that I want to add. I know that a lot of people watch a lot. Uh, of things on TV. And I remember when it happened, that was actually in Holland, that then I drove to France. And then when I saw the f- the TV and the news, you think the whole country is down and mm-hmm. you know, nothing survived because obviously they only show you the villages that, you know, were devastated. But yeah, uh, life is getting back slowly to not normal because obviously it was, it was it's really hard and a lot of people lost family members and and everyone's very saddened by what happened but i think the best way to help is for the people who decided to come on holiday to morocco is to just not cancel their plans and to keep you know their plans everything is open restaurants are now opening they're opened again hotels everything is safe everything in the cities itself is really safe uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think uh, that's uh, also a way to contribute because a lot of people live from that and from the tourism. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. I, you and I were just chatting before. I had um, been to Morocco once before <laughs> and absolutely beautiful. And, yeah, I think it's really yeah great to hear people don't ca- cancel your plans, go back to Morocco and experience all that it has to offer. Mm-hmm. And and we're really glad that your family and friends are safe and healthy. So Yeah, thank you. You mentioned you were in Holland fairly recently, and then you were in France. So tell us a little bit about how summer has been. Uh, you know, was it eventful with tournaments, uh, events, or were you reassessing your game and strategy? How did summer go for you? So basically, I went through a, quite a rough phase in the past few months uh, mentally, and the past two months were really about finding my game again. And I have practiced like never before. And I actually loved it. Like I found that grit and I was practicing so hard. And I went to France. So a week before Holland, worked over there, practiced, and then went to Holland, uh, feeling really confident about my game. And after the first round, I believe I was tied seventh. I had a really good first round with the Twinkle in Golf, a bogey-free round, which is really good. And then the second day, so second morning, 
going to my car at the hotel uh, before the second round, I fell down the stairs mm. and oh, I sprained no. my ankle. <laughs> so here I am, did my MRIs and everything. And uh, yeah, other than my family and close friends, you guys are the first ones to know what happened. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I haven't, like, haven't spoken about it or anything or put anything on social media because I was quite disappointed. But mm. yeah, so I had to retire from the tournament and I flew home on Sunday. And here, yeah, I'm going through like three weeks now of rehab and hopefully being able to compete again in a month in India. So hopefully that's the plan and my ankle is ready for it. Yeah, it's always, it seems like, <laughs> it's always those moments you're like, everything's in flow and then not even a, not even sport related, just life related. <laughs> like everything felt so good and I was so relaxed and everything was going to plan and then boom. But I, I was really pissed off when it happened. I was mm -hmm. so mad. And I was like, that is so unfair. And, and why? And why now? I'm actually now one week into rehab. I'm like, oh, well, I never have time to do this. Or I don't put much attention into this usually. So I'm really using these three weeks to do things that will make a difference. Mm -hmm. Like mental imagery and working on my core and working on my stretches, on my back stretches. Those are things, you know, when you have a seven hour day on the golf course and then an hour gym, and then you come back and you're, you, you do it, but you don't do it very mindfully. Mm -hmm. Like you just do what you have to do. But I'm actually like really taking the time now to do my breathing, to do my meditation, to like, it, it's really funny because a friend asked me yesterday, oh, do you miss playing? And I instinctively just answered oh but I'm playing because every night before I go to bed I'm like playing in teen holes in my head so then I like you know those are things I don't take the time to do normally mm -hmm. so yeah it sucks <laughs> but um yeah like you just make the best out of the situation yeah. you're in so I'm a cyclist. Uh, I have been injured multiple times. I'm not an ultra cyclist like Dawn, but uh, even Yet. like the short distances <laughs> that I cycle, I do get injured. And every time I get injured, like after the initial upset and, you know, feeling angry about, you know, why so much injustice has been thrown yeah. at me by the universe. I'm like, okay, you know, this is probably the universe's way of telling me to slow down. So uh, speedy recovery to you. I really hope that Thank you. are, you know, up and running and on the golf course again. Yeah. It sounds like you're making, you're using the time. We get trapped, I think, into productivity, right? But like using the time to yeah, address those things that often are ignored when you're in that cycle. And it's all, it was like on to the next, on to the next. Yeah. And, you know, the power of meditation and visualization. And right now, like, I mean, I've just started to go back to weight training because I was like, all I'm doing is is cycling. So it does. Yeah, it, it, it all matters. So the tournament in India coming up is the Hero Women's Indian Open. Yes. So what are you most looking forward to uh, besides getting back <laughs> to just playing for that oh, tournament getting, yeah getting back to playing and i've just ordered the trackman which most golfers will know that piece of technology is just amazing yeah so basically explain to people who don't who don't know okay. what that is so basically it's a radar that actually is used in other sports uh in baseball as well in tennis and 
I'll be standing on the range and I'll hit a ball and I'll know exactly how much spin, how far it exactly goes. And what's my swing path, what's my ball speed, everything. So basically, it makes you so much more aware of what you're doing with the golf mm-hmm. ball. And to me, the, I believe the more you know, the better. Because then, you know, if, if for example, I'm going to get a big, bit technical, but... It's okay. <laughs> basically, if my tendency was to miss a lot to the left. So missing a ball to the left, you see on the track man, that it means it's a ball with low spin. Mm-hmm. So basically now, if I want to avoid going to the left, because obviously, like if you go out there and think, I don't want to go left, it doesn't work. Like the brain does not understand uh, negation. The brain's just like left, 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 left. (laughs) Don't think about a pink elephant. There you go. (laughs) So basically now I just think, oh, I want to hit a ball with high spin, for example. And Mm -hmm. I know a ball with high spin is very unlikely to go left. So it's mm-hmm. that kind of knowledge that the track man helps you with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I finally made the investment and I'm ordering one. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to being able to practice with it on a regular basis. And going to India as well is, you know, being able to go back to one of my, if not my favorite course uh, mm-hmm. on the schedule. It's a tough, 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 tough course. Really? It's, it's like... You'll have to explain that to us. Okay. So usually on a golf course, you most of the time have a safe side. So you're standing on the tee, you know left is not good, but right, you kind of are okay. Uh, India, left is no, right is no. There's danger everywhere. And I just <laughs> love it because you're always on edge. You're mm-hmm. always awake you're you can never let go even the easiest hole is a tough hole and i i just love that course and even the visual of it is unbelievable it's it's a beautiful course the people are really nice nice atmosphere i think i've played one of my best nine holes uh in a tournament on that course but i i just love it when it's so challenging because it's a very very challenging course but it's fair Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I've hit a good shot and I'm in trouble. That's that's not fun. You know, this course, you hit a good shot, you're fine. You hit a bad shot, you're you're in big trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, I really like it. <laughs> you go looking for challenges, that's why you're in golf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Def- oh, yeah, definitely. Golf is definitely a challenge. <laughs> and it's a challenge because it it's crazy because a lot of people tell me, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's not like a physical challenge. Not like you guys, for example, you know. I've never cycled to a decent, not even a decent level. I just cycle in the gym. But that pain that you have to push through, that's something that's really hard. And in golf, it's a different kind of effort. It's a, it's a mind effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, cycling is also a mind effort because you've got to keep pushing even though it hurts. And that's, that's something else. But in golf, you're, you're really playing in front of a mirror. You're, you're really playing against yourself. You're really trying to control or get over your own demons. You know, when you're on a shot and you're thinking, oh, don't hit it left in the water. And that's all you're thinking about. And then how do I go the other way? How do I, how do I make myself better on every single shot? And how do yeah. I stay present? So I think that's the, the biggest challenge. And yeah, that's why I love golf. Because it's, it's, there's not a single moment where you're not, 
like thinking, okay, let's get back to what you're doing. Don't get ahead of yourself. I know it's pretty much the same in all elite sports, Mm -hmm. but because you're not reacting, like say in tennis, I'll be reacting to someone's shot. So I don't have that time to actually start thinking and going, oh, well, the next shot, you know, I've got to be careful and this and this and that. You know, in golf, I've got, we play for five hours and we're really hitting golf balls for what, for like 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the time, you're you're just in here. In, in yeah, the if you think about it, it's a mental endurance sport, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I Looking at golf and having worked in golf a bit, to your point about what a mental sport it is in terms of, you know, you're basically battling with yourself for about five hours. As a pro, though, you have crowds around you watching you. How do you deal with that as well? Or do you just tune that out? So it depends on the person. I think there's people that tune it out and there's people that tune it in. Mm-hmm. I like I like to just like tune it in. Like basically the people are there. I like when there's a lot of people. So you because, embrace the vibe. Yes, it, it gives it gives an amazing vibe. And then every good shot becomes even a better shot because you have the claps and you have the spectators. So it's something that always up, up, uplifts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uplift. Oh, well, you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uplift, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, dealing with the crowd. I mean, the crowds we have are usually amazing. And I am, I struggle a lot with noise when I'm playing. So if there's no one, on the course, there's no spectators and there's a single little noise, I will hear it. Like, and it will actually bother me. But when there's a lot of it and it's like an ambience noise, then I'm fine because it's not that single little cough or, you know, or person talking. It just becomes like an overall atmosphere and then the noise doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. Taking a step back, you mentioned you love the course in India that you're playing on, and there's a lot of golf courses now in Morocco, and it's the sport is really growing there leaps and bounds. How exposed were you to golf growing up? I mean, was it common for women? And like, I'm, I'm, yeah. you started, I'm sure, as a little girl. Was it common for little girls to be playing in Morocco? No, I started when I was 12 and it was very random because we lived next to a golf course. So we went there for lunch with my parents and I tried and I hated golf before that. <laughs> I always said, no, golf is for old people. Like it's boring. And I remember that I always wanted to watch, I think it was some cartoons on TV and sometimes they had the golf instead. And I remember so many times seeing Tiger Woods and going, oh, him again. And I would turn the TV (laughs) off. (laughs) And yeah, and I hated it. And nobody I knew played. There was not a single person I knew that played golf. So when I tried and then at school, I would say, oh, I'm playing golf. Everyone was making fun of me. They're like, what? You're playing what? Especially in Agadir. And everybody in Agadir surfs. Everyone. So I would skip the surfing class, which was every Wednesday afternoon, to go golfing. And everyone thought I was a weirdo because they were like, <laughs> who, who plays golf? And then I think when I turned like 15, then I was in the national team. And then all of a sudden, all the kids from my school 
came and signed up to golf, which annoyed me because <laughs> I thought, well, that's my thing. Like, what are they doing here now? <laughs> so how did that turn? Like, how did you turn from not liking the game, skipping surfing that everyone was doing? So what kept you in the sport, though? I loved it. Like, I just, I just loved it. And it was, I was fortunate that the first few balls I hit were really good. So there was, there was two things. It was the fact that I actually really liked hitting balls and I, I was quite good. And it's weird to say, but it was the fact that everyone else was struggling. So I was like, well, they're struggling and I'm not like, you know, so I enjoyed it. <laughs> Vicious as that sounds, but yeah, then I was just hitting balls. And then, you know, I, was, I started after a few weeks being as good as the ones who started a few months ago. And I was like, whoa, and that was really motivating for me. And then, you know, after a year of golf, I was playing national tournaments and, and to me, the real motivation was, was competition. I think if I was on my own practicing on that driving range, I wouldn't have liked it as much. I mean, I, I obviously love golf, but it was more trying to beat the other kids. And then, you know, being this little girl from Agadir, and I mean, Agadir is in the south of Morocco, and then coming to Rabat, and then, oh, I'm going to try and beat the kids from Rabat, because, you know, Rabat is where it's all happening. And, you know, they're so good, and they're all on the national team. Like, back then, it was just me from Agadir, and everyone was like, that's so far, you know, my, my dad used to drive me for like eight hours to come and play in Rabat. So yeah, like it, it was really competing and seeing myself get better. That really made me stick to the sport. I mean, I've done quite a lot of sports before that. I used to do a lot of horse riding. I played baseball for a little bit in school. So golf was really my, you know, kudka. Like I just, I just loved it. You mentioned that when Tiger Woods came on television earlier on, you were like, oh no, him again. I can't imagine there were many women golfers that you were playing back then. Um, did you have any idols? Did Tiger Woods end up becoming your idol? Yeah. Well, I was, I was watching Tiger Woods. And to be completely honest with you, I grew up watching men's golf because we didn't have any women's events on TV. There weren't many girls playing at the academy, so I was just playing against the boys. Even my first Moroccan championship, I was the only girl, I think. So I played against the boys. And then when I had the elite Moroccan championship, I think when, it was, when I was 16, I played with the boys again. So to me, I always watched men's golf until when I was 16 or 15, I got an invitation to play the Lala Merriam Cups Pro-Am. Lala Merriam Cup is was at the time an exhibition event, but they had the best European female players come and play. And then they had at the same time, the best European male players come and play the Hassan II trophy. So it was played at the same place at the same time. And I was invited to go and play in that. And then I saw the women and I'm like, wow, they're good. Like they're so good. And I got to play with one of them in the program. And I was like, whoa, she's my new favorite player. And then the next day I played with another one and I was like, oh, she's my new favorite player. <laughs> I was just very excited. And that's when I thought to myself, well, this is what I want to do. I want to be like one of them. 
That's amazing. I love that. I love what you said about competition as well, because I think sometimes now there's this discourse about, oh, competition, it's all about participation. But I'm like, it's good to have competition, healthy competition, like it helps to improve. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's, I mean, you can't compete if you don't participate. So, Mm. but I think competition is healthy. Mm -hmm. Because by trying to beat others, you're pushing yourself. I mean, if I if I went to every tournament and thought, oh well, I'll just show up, like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be doing this job, and um, yeah, I think I think competition is healthy. Yeah, no, I agree. Do you remember? So you mentioned a couple of uh, tournaments, you know, national championships and playing with uh, boys and stuff. Do you remember the point? You know, you practicing golf as a as a young girl where your family or a coach might have said, she's going to go somewhere with this. Like, we need to get serious with training. Yeah. Uh, my first coach, uh, Jean-Marie, I think he said that to my mother like a week after I started golf. Wow. He said, oh, she's got something. And then and then they're like, well, okay, we'll bring her over summer. And I remember I started golf in May, first week of May. And then in June was the summer holidays. And I I was just hooked. Like I would get to golf at seven in the morning and leave at seven PM at night every single day. But yeah, it was really him that told me, you know, you can do it. You can be at the national level. You can do this. And he was really the one also who was showing me golf on TV and who taught me everything and gave me the passion of the sport and encouraged me to play against the boys. Because I remember I think it was twenty when I was fourteen. And 15, I had won the female Moroccan championships by a lot. And he said, well, there's an elite Moroccan championship, but it's only boys. But it doesn't, in the rules, it doesn't say it has to be male. So it just says elite. So you can sign up. So I went and signed up for it. And I remember everyone was making fun of me. Who? Oh, you're not even going to make the cut. It's going to be... You know, you're going to embarrass yourself and everyone, everyone. A lot of people at my home club were telling me it was a bad idea except him. He was just saying, just do it. And I remember I won. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was such, to me, that's, that's probably my best golf memory or one of my best. Sorry? Uh, that encouragement changed your life. Yes. Because then I was like, that's it. <laughs> this is what I want to do. <laughs> I love that. When you came back with the title, what did all those people say at your club, your you know your home club? <laughs> the naysayers. Yeah, they they were they were they were shocked, and then they wanted to play with me. <laughs> I remember I wanted to play with them, and they were like, "No, you're too you're too you're too young. When you'll be better, you'll play with us." And I was like, "Well, I am better." But then because they maybe because I was a little girl, they were like, "No." And then after I came back with that title, then I was like, oh, well, this day I'm playing with them and then with them. And then I had so many games arranged and it was really exciting. It was a fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So our understanding uh, of golf, uh, Dawn's has been with, you know, some of the communication she's done around it. My understanding of golf has come from friends and I must admit a lot of it from Netflix. <laughs> Full Swing was a very good beginner's kit to golf. Also made me really interested in the sports and to get 
into the sport and to get to know a little more about it. And I must tell you, before that, I had absolutely no idea of how competitive it is to maintain a membership or a, a tour status. Yes. or a tour card. And if I'm not mistaken, the average winning percentage across major golf tournaments is around 33% for professional golfers. So it makes it one of the hardest professional sports. So how, how has that been for you? How has that journey been for you? And you know, how hard or challenging has that been for you? I'll be honest, it's been hard, but in a good way, I guess. So I got my tour card when I was in 20 in December 2012 so at that point I was the first Arab to ever get a tour card and that's male or female and everyone was so excited and I was like okay well now it's that means it's the beginning you know of the of the journey so I've been on tour now for 10 years and you know I struggled sometimes to get my card uh, to keep it sometimes I had to go back to Q school so for the people who don't know Q school it's if you're not in the top 60 or top 80 of the tour you play in, you need to go back to Q school, which is a few stages where they basically, out of a few hundreds, pick the top 20. And it's really tough because you go out there thinking, well, I've, I have to have a good week. And not, it's not like other sports where in golf, you can play good every week. It's not like in, you know, for example, in tennis or in maybe 100 meters where you really have favorites. In golf, anyone can win. And, you know, the best player in the world out of 30 tournaments will maybe just win three a year. Mm -hmm. So in golf, it's hard to, to be on top form all the time. And having to go through that Q school is very, very stressful because you you're like, well, maybe if I don't make it through, then I'm out of a job next year. So that's tough. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was quite happy to keep my card for 10 years. I know that's, that's a, a good achievement, but it's also hard because I've never won a tournament. So you think, you know, I've been there for 10 years and I've been on tour for 10 years. And I know a lot of amazing, even male players who have never won, who are really good, but then it's still something that's really hard to accept mm -hmm. to think, oh, I've played for 10 years and I haven't won a tournament. And it's really a sport where you learn how to lose. Like as a golfer, most weeks you are losing. And it's, it's, it's quite difficult because you're not, you don't have those small victories. Like I watch a lot of tennis and for example, you go out there and you win a match. Mm -hmm. So you take that win. On the golf course, you can never come out of the golf course and say, I won, unless you actually win the tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite tough mentally to go out there and keep pushing and keep grinding and, and keep going with that one to win when you've, terribly speaking, you've just lost the last 300 tournaments because you haven't won. Yeah. But in golf, if you have a top five or a top 10, that's a great result, but it's not mm. winning. So, yeah, you tough. <laughs> I've never, like, I knew this subconsciously or knew, you know, I knew this is the way golf is, but never really thought too deeply about that aspect until you're here explaining it. And I just got thinking, what keeps you motivated? Like, what do you tell yourself to keep, yeah, yourself motivated? What's your why? It's because I know it makes me better every single day. 
it's crazy. It's 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 really a sport that changes you every time. It makes you humble. Like you can be the best player in the world. You can totally be terrible at a tournament. Or you can be on top of the world. You know, we gave the Tiger Woods example. And then you can struggle to break 80 mm. at some point. That's what I love about golf because it's really a school of life. And I learn so much all the time. Like, you know, I, I'm someone who's very impatient. So on the golf course, I'm all day long working on that aspect of myself. <laughs> you know, I, I get angry. I can't get angry on the golf course. So, you know, like I just work on every aspect of my personality when I'm out there on the golf course. And that's why they tell you a lot. Like you go and play 18 holes with someone, you'll know what kind of person they are, but it's because it, it brings out the best and worst in people. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking, am I impatient? I don't know. <laughs> But I'm like, wow, that's like for somebody who is self-described as impatient to be a golfer, you know, every day you're really testing yourself every time mm -hmm. you go out there. I just want to take a step back to before you joined the L.A.T. You know, you're a young girl. You've won this elite championship in Morocco against these boys. What decisions did you have to make as a young, you know, as a youth? As to your future career in terms of education, like your commitment yeah. to practice, getting a coach, because it feels like, you know, a lot of these decisions are made when there's a few sports like gymnastics or figure skating. A lot of decisions are made when you're actually yeah. still a kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was always quite mature when I was uh, younger and I was really lucky that my parents let me decide for a lot. I remember I was 14, 15, 16, and I was traveling to go play tournaments. And they really were very trusting when it came to that. Like my mother always said, because I was always one of the best at school in the class. And she's like, as long as you can maintain like top five in the class, you can go. If not, that's it. No more tournaments. So yeah, that, there was always a deal between my parents and I that, you know, if if I keep things you know, steady at school, then I can, I can do as much golf as I, as I want. And when I was 16, I knew I wanted to keep playing golf while I study because I know how hard sports can be. So I really wanted to have a degree regardless of what direction I take in life. So to me, going to America was the best option because you could study, play for a team at the same time. And it, it was also very competitive. So I had the option. I actually got a scholarship into France for a really good school. And I, I hid the paper and I never showed my parents. <laughs> and then I was like, well, if they gave me a scholarship, you know, to go and just study, maybe I can get a golf scholarship. And I remember I knew nobody at the time that went and studied in the U.S. for golf. Like I was going to be the first and it was quite stressful. And, you know, I went and I was trying to find on the internet how to contact universities, which ones to speak to, how to sign up. It was, it was really hard because I, I really had no, no one who did it before and who could help me with it. And I was, I was waiting for my parents to go to sleep and then I would go on the computer and search, search, search. <laughs> and I found a few universities and a few of them gave me scholarships. And then I told my parents and they didn't believe me. They're like, what? They're going to give you money to go <laughs> all the way to the U.S. and play golf for them. 
And like, what, $36,000? No way. Like, the, you know, she, the, my mom didn't believe me. She's like, they just want to abduct you and, you know, start so, thinking about some crime stuff. And I'm like, no, like, it's legit. And <laughs> so she called an uncle of mine who lives in the U.S. And he went and spoke to some of the schools. And he was like, no, it's, it's true. Like, <laughs> it's really happening. And there I went. I went and studied for four years at Lynn University in uh, Boca, Boca Raton, Florida, and I loved it. And then when I finished at Lynn, my mom was telling me, oh, you should find a job and try and find a job in the U.S., work there for a few years and then come back. And I got offered the job and I never told them about it and I just came home. <laughs> and then went and played Q school the first time and I, fa I, I didn't make it through. So then I was there just practicing for a year and I was... Is this in Florida? Sorry to interrupt. I came back to Morocco. Okay. And Q school in Florida. And, in Q, Morocco. Also, and Q school was in Spain. Right. To qualify for the ladies European tour. So I, I, I played terrible, didn't make it. And so for the whole year, I was just practicing and to make money because mom was like, well, we sent you to the US for four years and now you're here and you're just playing golf. Like, you know, not even making money with golf, just practicing. <laughs> And so I was doing tutoring online uh, at my university for students who needed help. So I was doing that quite a lot, actually, and practicing. And at the end of the year, there was Q school again. So my mom said, listen, this is it now or never. If you don't make it through this one, we're done with this. Because I think it was quite stressful for her as well. Like I was traveling, going to small tournaments here and there, you know, it was costing me a lot of money. I was making no money. Yeah, to her, it was it was quite a waste of time and energy and resources. So Q school then happened again at the end of the year, and she was like, this is it. And then I went out the first day, and I shot my best score ever. And I'm like, God. And then the second day again. So I just basically just cruised through the whole thing. And it was my first time working with a mental coach. So... I saw a mental coach for like two weeks before Q school and we worked really hard. And then I went to Q school. I'm like, whoa, this works. And I made it through. And then that was it. I was on the ladies European tour since. Wow. Can you tell us what you had to work on with this coach of yours, with this mental mm. coach to change the way you were approaching Q school and, you know, just the game in general? Well, before that, to be honest, I had no idea. Like I did no breathing, no meditation. Like if I was scared or felt pressure, I would, I would just freeze. And then him explaining to me how the brain works, you know, and how your brain reacts when you're scared, you know, the f uh, flight, uh, fight or, or freeze. freeze. So then I was like, oh, so it's normal. It's not just me. Cause I, I just froze. I, I was, I was incapable of, of actually hitting a golf shot properly. So then understanding how it worked in the brain and be like, okay, well, now what happens? You're just having a strategy about it. So, okay, if I feel the freeze, I'm going to breathe. I'm going to have, you know, rub my shoulder and that's going to be my anchor. And I started doing those things and it helped me so much to the point that I was like, well, this is actually easy. So, yeah, that it was visual uh, visualization, you know, seeing the shots before you actually hit them. Like I was always a very instinctive player. I just went and played and hit the ball. So him get, giving me that 
little bit of mental structure made a massive difference. Making sports a career is still, I mean, any sport for that matter, is a very unconventional choice. And in golf, we've already established it's very difficult to kind of keep your status and your tour card. And if you're not winning tournaments, you're not making money. If you're not coming within a certain ranking, you're not making money and you're not attracting sponsorships. At what stage did you go like, that's fine. I mean, I'm still going to keep going. I have a plan B, but I'm not going to use my plan B. This is my plan A. I'm going to stick with the plan A. I think it's after I won. I was named, I think, Athlete of the Year twice at university. And the feeling I had when that happened was like, I can't let go of this. You know, it's, it's, I just love the feeling and I love playing golf and I, I love the feeling of winning. Uh, which I had quite often as an amateur. I just love playing so much. I really love it. So to me, I was thinking I can't let go of that. And then I was actually very lucky as well, because as soon as I got my tour card, there was a structure in Morocco that started that is called the ATH. Uh, it was It was under the Federation. So basically it was organizing golf tournaments and helping Moroccan professionals. So it turns out at that time, boom, I just get my tour card. I'm under the wing of this huge organization. They're helping me with everything. So I'm thinking, this is amazing. This is heaven. And they helped me a lot. And to me, having that support in the first few years made it so much easier for me to keep going because I think if I had to worry uh, so much, and then I was lucky enough to have a few sponsors that followed. So having the financial stability that came with the first years definitely took off some of the pressure and some of the stress that comes with playing professional sport. I think a lot of people looking in on professional sports and professional athletes would think, oh, they don't have to worry about anything, you know? (laughs) Even when I, before I started working on some golf projects, I didn't think too much about it. And then realizing everyone's pretty much like self-employed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, and it's something I really struggle with. It's that you're your own boss, but mm. you're also the boss of your project or your, your company. You, you are a company. Mm. So sometimes... I wanted to buy a TrackMan <laughs> for a long time. And I was thinking, yeah, but it's too much money. Like, you know, and, and there's a lot of things that you have to think about as a company rather than as a person. And I think that's hard when the company is you mm-hmm. or when you hire a caddy and you've got to be more of a, of a boss or, you know, be clear about what you expect from the person. It's something like I personally always struggled with. Because I think of myself as Maha, who plays golf, who's a professional athlete, but I struggle to think of Maha as a business owner or as mm-hmm. the head of her business. So it's, it's something that I think is so important because the people you surround yourself with, the way you, you, know, you build your team, the way you finance your season, the way everything works is so important and people forget that a lot. Mm. Uh, because yeah, most people have a manager, 
but at the same time, you also need to be able to find a good manager. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really a business and it's the side of sports that people don't think about all the time. Mm -hmm. And that is so important. On that, I mean, when you, you know, get your LET card, are there resources or is someone there guiding you through this or you just, is it kind of on you to figure this out? At the start, it was very much on me and I'm a very solo person. Like I like to do my own thing, but at one point I knew I needed the help and I was lucky enough to get the help. My best friend was, you know, in the business and she knew a lot about it and she really helped. She was really a, a good guidance, you know, helped me finding the coaches. How do I contact some good coaches? How do I plan my travel? How do I plan my visas? I mean, I'm from Morocco. I need visas for everywhere. Mm. And, you know, sometimes you go to some, to an embassy and they tell you, oh, you cannot do the visa three months before you travel. But I'm like, but I'm away for four months. Like I've got to do it now. And, and it's a lot of paperwork and it's, it's a lot of things that you need help and support with or doing your taxes or doing all of those things. You know, I, I know everyone has to do that, but people don't think of athletes as business owners. And that's also another side of the job that you've got to do. Yeah. I, just to your point, I mean, in the first few years of your career, you said you did get support from an initiative that began in Morocco. I think what we're also seeing in the region, in the Arab region, that there are certain federations in countries that are supporting their uh, sports people and their professional sports people so that, you know, they can build the sport. So I think that is also one of the things that, you know, yeah. the onus has to be on institutions and governments so that they can build their professionals and allow them to compete at that level because yeah. the laurels are not just individualistic right it's also for the country oh yeah definitely as i told you earlier one of my motivations to play professional golf was when i saw that tournament in rabat and i saw those players and i think that's also very important we see in the in Morocco, we've got professional events in Dubai as well, in Saudi now. And seeing so many events, that is going to make kids want to try and, and do it as well. And thinking, oh, if those guys do it, I can do it too. And I see that a lot now in Morocco because there's so many young girls. So many girls are actually so good. And they want to do this for a living. And like, it makes me so happy. My friend came for tea earlier and she said, oh, my daughter doesn't want to play golf. She says she hates it. And then I told her, but don't you want to be like Maha? And she's like, oh, then I'll play. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it made me tear. Like, I'm like, okay, well, there you go. And then, you know, sometimes I'll just get a random call from a mother who tells me, oh, my, my daughter, she wants to go study in the U.S. What's the life like? And what is it like to play professional? And I'm not sure I want her to do this. And it's unsafe. And, it's, and then we have conversations and, and I explain that it's an actual job and that it's, it's great. And I see that people change, change their minds. I mean, I saw it for me. My first few years, a lot of people told my mother, when is she actually going to get a job? I was like, well, I'm, I'm working. This is a job. Yeah. People thought, oh, well, you don't work. But now they know it's my job. And I see such a massive difference. Like they, you know, they say, oh, Maha, she's at work. 
I mean, even I don't say I'm going to work. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to go. <laughs> they say, oh, she's gone to work. And to me, that's just a big change in mentalities. Huge. I think the shift here over the past couple of years is really, really, really exciting. And to your point, seeing these big events go in new places like Qatar, Saudi, you know, all these different types of sports events really has an impact on the people living in those countries. They're able to see and experience and possibly work in sport, but just be really inspired. Just going back to you, though, getting your playing privileges on the LAT, you're the first Arab woman to do that. What significant, did you realize the significance of it at the time? No, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. No, I was just happy to, to play on the ladies European tour. And then, and then actually when I traveled, I understood the, the significance because then people would approach me as that and say, oh, you are the first. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, great. But I would get a lot of questions like, oh, how was it growing up, you know, uh, in an Arab country and playing golf and sports and I've always been very honest about it in the way that I don't think it made any difference in Morocco that I was a girl. Like maybe I, I mean, I could have lied and said, oh yeah, you know, (laughs) but no, it made no difference. Like I was treated just like a boy would have been uh, when it came to practice, when it came to doing things, when it came to the opportunities I had to play. The only thing that was tough was maybe the mentalities of people who told me, oh yeah, but you can't, why would you do this? And you know, you shouldn't travel so much. And especially later in time when I I got married and people were like, well, you're not going to keep traveling like this, you know, like this is not the proper way to do things. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I see a massive difference in the mentalities between like 10 years ago and now. And I mean, now there's another Moroccan who plays on tour. She's actually got an LPGA tour card. She plays on in the US now. She's playing really good. And there's so many young girls that want to do it now. And I'm pretty sure most of them think, well, if Maha did it, then Ines did it. Like, we can definitely do it. Maybe mm. we can do it better. And, and that's what you want to hear. I mean, the first time I went to Saudi... We did uh, a ladies first program where basically, you know, gave a golf lesson to, to women. And I saw some of them five years later and they're actually golfers. Like they came to London to play in the Aramco team series. And then they came to uh, Soto Grande to play and they're actually in love with golf. And now their husbands started playing golf because they play golf. And I'm like, this is how... This is exactly what I was hoping to see, you know, and to me, being able to share that passion and, you know, making golf more normal for Arab women, to me, is just uh, a big win. And Mm -hmm. I, I really see the difference today compared to when I started and even more when I turned professional, there was no one and no one even thought about doing that. And now you see all the little girls, that's what they want to do. And they and they've got grit and they're and they're really good golfers. You said you've maintained the tour card for about ten years now. Yes. A long, long time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any memorable shots and events? From time to time you need to kind of be 
yeah reassured that this is this this path that you've taken is the right path so tell us oh, yeah. what those memorable moments have been in the last 10 years well to to i'm sure that i took the right path that's for sure cuz i'm i'm really i'm really grateful for the for the experiences i had and i don't think i could have done anything else that would have made me this happy and this fulfilled in what i do i think it would be my hole in one at the tokyo olympics like it's my first holding one in an actual professional event and for it to happen in tokyo during the olympics and being the first one to to do it as well for me was uh was an amazing memory we just watched that i just watched that earlier <laughs> and, you know i know it's going to happen but i'm still getting goosebumps watching it <laughs> especially because you know i mean uh, don and i were talking about this and just the odds of it happening are so slim it's like 2500 to 1 so that's just insane and so just you know just adding to that like when you get a hole in one like when we watch something like this you know other than getting goosebumps i'm like is this just pure luck or you know is it is something else involved so like do you have to practice you visualize so you probably visualize yeah, it visualize for sure uh, like are there any strategies you know to kind of try getting a hole in one uh, you know or is it pure luck or is everyone every are every ball you're trying to get a hole in one yeah. <laughs> pretty much i mean unless the pin is really difficult and it's tucked in a corner near you know a water obstacle and you decide not to go for it you're like that's too dangerous i'm just going to yeah. play to the right take my two putts and go mm-hmm. uh but other than that if it's um a reachable pin where you decide to go for it i mean i remember that day because the bunker is really cl- it's quite close to the to the pin so i thought you know what if i play a bit to the right it's safer and then just before playing i was like you know what no i'll just go for for the pin and try and play a fade So I think you do try all the time but the, you need a perfect shot and some luck because everything will affect that golf ball the wind the air pressure the humidity in the air like everything affects it uh the bounce like so of course you need the perfect shot but you also need luck to yeah. to actually make it I love seeing your reaction I could just feel what a magical moment that was for you at the time <laughs> seeing that we'll link that in the show notes so people can watch because i mean if there's going to be a place to do it the olympics is pretty cool <laughs> i mean your overall so this wasn't your first olympics either you went to brazil in 2016 talk us through yes. what that's like becoming an olympian well i'll be honest i'll be 100% honest with you brazil was a nightmare like i did not like it I did no. not. I felt out of place. I mean, growing up, I always watched the Olympics, but I never imagined being in the Olympics because golf was not part of it. Hmm. So you get there, and I just felt so out of place. I had ten more kilos than now. You know, you walk around, and there's just athletes everywhere, and I just didn't feel comfortable. like i did not feel in the right place and it showed in my golf game you know i had been on tour already for 4 years and i thought that being a professional golfer 
you know, I go to tournaments and I never felt out of place in the golf tournament. Mm. And then I get to Rio and I felt so out of place and I felt so unathletic. And it just made me very aware of myself. And it was a really tough week. And then on top of that, as an amateur, you do play events to represent your country. But as a golfer, you know, when you're a professional, you just represent yourself really. Mm -hmm. So going there and taking your name off pretty much and throwing it away and just playing under a flag and receiving thousands of messages from people who tell you, you know, you must lift the flag and, and, you know, Morocco's counting on you. It was just, yeah, it was just too overwhelming for me. And I think Mm. I was not prepared enough for that idea. I was one of the last qualified. So I only found out about a month before the Olympics that I was actually going to go. Oh, wow. And even the preparation was just chaotic because I didn't know that you were not allowed any logos on your clothes and only, so everything was just a rush before going there. And then you get there and you feel big and you don't feel in your place. And so everything just added up and I really had a tough experience over there. And I swore to myself, you know, next Olympics, I want to get there and I want to feel like I belong here and I want to feel in my place. So was Tokyo redemption? And if it was redemption, what was going to your mind in terms of setting that as a goal? And what is that process that you embarked on for it? Well, the first thing is that when I got to Rio, uh, I was in the plane with uh, Hisham El Garouj, which is one of the biggest athletes we've ever had in Morocco. He won three gold medals at the Olympics. And he told me a thing in the plane that I never understood until I played. Uh, He said, don't play for the flag, play for yourself. And then don't think about Morocco, think about you, do it for you, and then the rest will come. And he said that, and I said, okay. But I had no idea. Like, I didn't really understand it until I went there. And then as I got to the tee with everything red and green, which is the Moroccan flag. And then I panicked. So when I went to Tokyo, I was actually prepared a lot better. And well, when I left Rio, I contacted a a coach, a fitness coach uh, who works with a lot of athletes. And I said, you know what? I want you to make me an athlete. (laughs) So I worked with him for a few years and I actually got hooked on, on, fitness, on just, you know, making my body better, becoming more of an athlete. And when I got to Tokyo, I remember the first thing I did was go for a long, long run in the village. And after that, I went to the gym and my sister was with me. And to me, that was even before started starting the tournament, I was sitting in the gym and I felt like I belonged and I was looking in the mirror and I was just happy. Like I, I remember the moment because I teared. And I was like, okay, well, now this is different. And when I went out there on the course, I, it was totally a different experience for me. And uh, yeah, I, I had an amazing time at the Olympics. I didn't play my best golf, but I played good golf. And yeah, unbelievable experience. Yeah. Just, you know, listening to you about how, your, how changing your physical actually had such a huge impact on your mental. I don't think a lot of people take that into consideration in golf because we spoke about how it's so mental 
but a lot of people don't consider that actually golfers go into the gym and do a lot of like oh. training in the gym they as do. well. Uh, a lot of people are very surprised to see golfers. I actually sent a video to a friend a few days ago of Ryan Fox, who just won in um, in London the Wentworth event, and he's deadlifting. Like, I, I couldn't even count how much was on that bar. And I sent it, and he's like, oh, wow. And I'm like, of course, because he kept saying, oh, you know, he's got so much power because he's from New Zealand. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> you do not get infused with power when you are born. That's not how it works. You know, it's not because he's from New Zealand and that, you know, you think New Zealand, you think the all black. No, people actually work for it. <laughs> so I remember I sent that friend the video and I was like, look, look. <laughs> but yeah, that all that physical work that I did actually helped me just as much mentally as anything I've done with the mental coaching. Because you obviously feel stronger. If you're able to overcome physical pain, like you just feel like a different person. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, I, I thought about this a lot with the, you know, with the weightlifting, you know, I've got 10, 10 reps to do. If I give up on rep number eight, not because I really cannot anymore, but just because it's too hard, like I'm going to be disappointed with myself and I'm going to think, what does it say about me? You know, what, what, no, I can't do this. I'm not going to give up on hole 16 with two holes to go. And I remember this is something I always told myself when I would go running is you're, you're training your body, but you're training your brain not to let go. You're training your brain to be resilient, to be strong, to keep going, to keep pushing, even when you don't like it. And to me, that's the most important it's discipline. Uh, it's just about, you know, a lot of people talk to me about motivation and I know it's important, but I don't believe in it. I don't believe in motivation. I, I believe in discipline mm -hmm. because I don't wake up in the morning wanting to go and do putting drills for three hours that no, <laughs> I love golf, but not to that extent, <laughs> but I have to do it. And I don't give myself the choice. It's not about wanting or having the motivation to do it. It's just about having the discipline to do it. You just, yeah. I don't ask my, I don't give myself the choice. Because you want it so much. Yes. So my motivation is there, but it's not, it's not a daily, oh, today I'm motivated. Then I will do things. No, like it's a intrinsic, it's deep inside that I know where I'm, where I want to be. And then I have the discipline to keep going with it. It's like my rehab now. This is the most mm -hmm. boring stuff I could be doing. You know, moving my toes like a fraction of a millimeter for like 20 minutes. Like it's not fun. It's not rewarding, but you have to do it. So yeah, it's just about the discipline. It goes down to, I guess, to, I, I love this saying, mood follows movement. Like when you were talking this morning yeah. when I woke up, it was like five o'clock. I was like, I could just stay in bed. I said, get up. You're going to the gym. And when I when after I did my weightlifting class, I had a real pep in my step <laughs> and I felt strong, even though I didn't want to do it when I opened up my eyes. It's not about being motivated because I was really not motivated, but just about actually just doing it, just going through the motions and it will follow. Yeah. I, and thinking about, you know, as you were speaking, just thinking about a conversation I was having with a friend a little while ago, he was saying to his kids do hard things, you have an easy life. 
avoid yeah. hard things, you will have mm-hmm. a, you know, do easy things, you will have a hard life. <laughs> but it's true. It's like in practice. I, like, I always like to make practice a little bit harder. And I remember Jamie uh, in Dubai used to give us drills. And I was like, this is impossible. Like <laughs> this drill is literally not doable. It's too much. You know, you hit three drives and then you've got to go chip and go make four putts and then do a bunker shot. And if you miss, you start over. And I was like, what? And then after you've spent three hours and a half trying to do it and then you succeed, you think you're the king of the world. And then when you go on a tournament and you've got that bunker shot, you're like, oh, this is this is easy. I can do it. And yeah, the, the harder you make your practice, the easier it gets in tournaments. And I, I really believe in that. Yeah. I love all your, yeah, I, today I'm, I'm leaving this recording in our chat thinking I need to visualize more. I'm going to go, what am I going to visualize tonight? <laughs> what do I want to happen? Because it, it's, it's really true what you're saying about visualization and the power of it and your testament to that. I just want to go back a bit when we talked about, you know, the growth of the women's game. And I mentioned before I was working on the communications uh, for a tournament here in Dubai and golf is growing in popularity. The women's game has a lot of room for opportunity to grow even further. There's a lot of room for brands that want to invest, brands that want to partner with ladies, um, you know, women who golf and the L.A.T. and other, you know, golf tours. There's a disparity. Anyone can see it. There's just a disparity between men's and women's games in terms of sponsorship dollars <laughs> and prize money. And personally, it's enraging to me. <laughs> I'm sure it's in, it's a topic of conversation amongst, you know, you ladies as well. What do you think can be done to reduce that gap? What should be done? Well, I think it starts a lot with more coverage. I know a lot of people want to watch women's golf on TV and they can't find it. And then when they do, they actually enjoy watching. They think our golf is more relatable uh, and it's smoother. And so I think, you know, being able to watch more women's golf on TV is the priority. And then also having more national events. And I mean Mm -hmm. by that, that if countries are able to have a men's event and put so much money into it, there's something that should be done. And maybe the men's game can help with that and say, listen, if, if you're organizing a men's event, maybe organize as well a women's event. Uh, make the process bigger. Do something about it. Because I do believe that they have that kind of power and that kind of leverage because men's golf is so big now. And some people will say, but why would they care? Well, because those men have daughters, sisters, you know, and I, I think it's an overall responsibility to have more equal purses and equal opportunities more than purses. We see it in the tennis more and more today. And, you know, to see that Coco Golf's game, the final of the US Open was the most watched ever surpassing even the men's I think to me they have made a big 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 massive improvement in women's sports and how did they do it by having more coverage and by having equal purses and it was also by through the help of men's tennis Mm. so I think it's an overall 
responsibility. I think the women are doing a lot. I think we're practicing just as much. Uh, we're working just as hard. But I do believe that the governing bodies need to also, you know, put in a word and and really try to make a difference. Because I think if both tours are really strong, they will help each other the way they do it in tennis today. I think the way the things are being done in tennis, because I watch a lot of it, there's a lot of things that are happening at the same time. They have a lot of coverage where it's men and women. Morocco used to be a really good example for that. Uh, when we had the men's European tour and the women's European tour at the same place at the same time. In terms of organization, it was very tough. but And it was still two separate tournaments, mm -hmm. which, you know, the women played on the blue course, the men played on the red course, but we still shared the same players' lounge, the same um, media area, the same practice facilities. And to me, having that mixité, which is in English, I don't know. <laughs> Having, you know, both one men and women at the same yeah, time yeah. in the same place is so important. And it's a way to push women's golf forward as well. And I think, yeah, just to that point, that's such a good point because if you like golf, isn't more golf a good thing? <laughs> You know, yeah. seeing it, being exposed to it, having two golf tournaments in one, like at the, around the same time, that to me would be a dream, you know, for a golf fan. It's amazing. Yeah. So, I, how do you assess the situation in the region, though, at the moment? I mean, you are seeing more opportunities here for yeah. women in terms of like, you know, closing that gap, that disparity, uh, the coverage and the representation. You said that you yourself kind of went when you were in Saudi, there were initiatives to kind of open it up to young girls who may want to or who may want to consider this as a profession. So if you had to assess what's happening in the region in the last few years and moving forward, how would you assess that? Well, today. Saudi is making major moves in golf. Everyone thinks they started with men's golf, but they actually did both men's golf and women's golf at the same time. Uh, we have six, I think, Aramco Team Series events a year. And those events came at a time where most of our, of our tournaments were around 300,000 euros purse, which is not that much. And then the Aramco Series events came in with 500,000 and then a million. And then a lot of the promoters started putting more money to align themselves with, with the Aramco events. So, and then they organized another event with 5 million, which is just as much money as a major. We had it for the first time this year. So by them putting so much money, I see that most of the purses are also going up. And I think to me, that's a major step uh, in women's golf, because once you have such a big promoter putting that much money in women's golf and having others follow i think it's 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 a good start i think saudi have helped us a lot uh when it comes to that of course it's not even comparable with the amounts of money that are being put in the live but i think it's a start mm -hmm. and i think we cannot undermine how huge that involvement they have you know that much of money that they put has helped the let but i think it's gonna keep growing i really believe that because it's it's gone from having no tournaments 
involved with Aramco to, I think it's seven, actually. I think it's seven years. And to me, like, it's really important. And hopefully it makes other countries that actually organize a lot of men's golf do the same. You know, UAE, we used to play a lot in the UAE. And we, I don't believe we have a tournament there anymore. And I, I know they have a lot of men's events. Mm-hmm. And I know they have the ambition of putting back women's golf. And I think it's a good thing for countries in the same region to actually match what others are doing mm-hmm. next door or not even match, but, you know, say like Morocco's organizing their events, their event, Saudi is, UAE also will get back on the schedule. Why not Qatar? Why not Oman? And that's how it keeps growing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And seeing also, and the fact also to see young Arab athletes, young Arab golfers who participate, who, you know, have a good ranking, I think that's also a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Golf. So I've been around golf for a while. (laughs) I'm like, at some stage, I would like to play it. I don't. It's just down to time, really. You know, when you're doing other sports and work and all this kind of stuff, it's hard to think of it, but I will play golf at some stage. What would you say to someone like Afshanara <laughs> wanting to get into golf? What words of encouragement? And also, what would you say to somebody who, you know, has a, a daughter, a young person in their life who could be very talented in golf? What would you say to them as well to, to help encourage? Um, uh, first thing is to really try and to do it with friends. It's really a sport where regardless of your level, you can play with other people. So yeah, to do it with friends, to do it with family. If you go play, take your daughter, take your son. Of course, don't force them if you don't like them. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's really a sport where you can enjoy a really nice moment with friends for five hours. And I don't think a lot of sports do that you know, regardless of the level that they play. Like I, I have a friend who plays amazing tennis and if I go and play with them, I just say sorry for like an hour because it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't play good. In golf, you can actually, I can play golf with Tiger Woods, but uh, my mom who barely plays can play with Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. In other sports, I, I'll never run with Usain Bolt because it just, it just doesn't work, you know? And golf has that, disadvantage that you can play with anyone and you can enjoy it with anyone. So yeah, that that would be my advice. It's a social sport. It is definitely a social sport. Well, I love that. Well, I think Afshan, you and I are going to have to play golf at some stage. <laughs> You've sold me on it. Right? Yeah. 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 So I think uh, a lot of our friends say that like we should get into, into it through top golf. <laughs> yes. Which is a very I love top golf introducing yourself to golf so my yeah. birthday this year top golf yeah. <laughs> honestly did, top golf is the great hit a few balls uh, on on don's birthday yes that's right i know mm-hmm. a lot of people actually who started playing golf going to top golf yeah. yeah you go there you you know you have drinks you just you know socialize Fun. and then hit some golf shots yeah. and i saw actually in dubai there's I'm I'm not too sure like how it works, but there's this group of ladies who do I think it's called chicks with sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They look and I think very it's cool. amazing. It's really yeah. cool. Like I I 
follow them on Instagram and I think it's it's awesome. They've grown yeah. massively since they began. So yeah. I'm definitely picking up uh, with women here for sure. Yeah, I, I think this kind of stuff is amazing. Maybe maybe I'll send them a message. We need to start that in Morocco. I think it'll yeah, be Chicks with Stings <laughs> Morocco. That'd be cool. Yeah. For sure. So you've, I mean, from whatever we've heard from you so far, I think there's no dearth of grit here. <laughs> All your achievements speaks volumes about, you know, the amount of grit that you've, I don't know, brought to the table. And we always ask our guests if they think this is innate or if they've honed it over the years. So what do you think? How has grit come to you? No, I think I think I think it comes over the years. I definitely think it's it comes over the years because it's like the it's like gymming. I used to hate it. I, I told you when I got to Rio, I I thought it was useless and I just didn't like the suffering. And now, like I've been in on crutches for a week and I'm going I'm going mad and I'm still gymming. Like I'm I'm not moving my foot, but I'm I'm doing everything and I think you just learn to you can learn anything i don't think i don't think you i think some people are born with some abilities but i don't think there's anything you cannot learn i'm i'm convinced of that i was never good at sports i was not good at sports in school and on the opposite side my sister was so talented at any sport she did but yet Today, she tells me I could have never been a professional athlete. It's too much pressure. It's, it's too much. I just can't deal. And she still plays golf and she's good at any sport she tries, but she just doesn't, en- doesn't enjoy the pressure and the competition. Mm-hmm. Was and there any yet- sibling rivalry when you were growing up? <gasps> Always. <laughs> still today. She still gets mad when I beat her at golf while she practices <laughs> once a month and it's my job. And she'll still get mad. But yeah, she's very competitive, but she just doesn't want to deal with the pressure. So Mm -hmm. yet when you think about it, you would have thought she was the one who could have made it easier in sports. So I I really think it's something you can learn. and, And yeah, definitely. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. I found it so interesting. I'm sure Afshan has as well. Like just, yeah, yeah, lifting the lid. Yeah, Yeah, I just loved it. I loved hearing, having worked on golf for, you know, a few years and just really getting in-depth conversation about what it's actually like to be a pro golfer is really interesting. So thank you. And you behind the scenes. Yeah, and and your story, you know, your story as well, like, is really fascinating and inspiring. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, it's been lovely. I think I've come away with this. I'm going to, whatever I'm doing this evening, I'm visualizing. (laughs) I know that. And I know our listeners are going to take away a lot of uh, lessons as well from this. Is there anything? Definitely a new appreciation for the game. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Any last thoughts, any words of advice about golf, about you? I mean, you said it, but to me, I'm going to say it again. But if you can imagine it, you can do it. I I really believe that. The brain makes no difference between what goes on in here and what goes on outside. You know, when you watch a horror movie, you are scared and you know it's not real. But, you know, just the, the visual of something can create the physical emotion. So, yeah, you can do it.
<laughs> I love that. Thank Amazing. you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Good luck for your upcoming Thanks. tournament and a speedy, speedy recovery. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.